good morning. Welcome to Life Point. <laughs> Only the people from Life Point got that. Only got that joke. So I'm blessed that there are a lot of folks from our church in Columbus, from Life Point, that are here uh, this week. We tricked them. Uh, we didn't tell them that I was the speaker, and a bunch of them signed up for this week. And then, ha ha, we got gotcha. you. Um, we uh, we just are finishing up. Actually, today while I'm gone, we're finishing up a series called Flip This Church. Um, at our place back in Columbus, and um, it's on Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Revelation. So one of the benefits uh, of coming to Go Lake to speak is that there's the whole, you know, I could just take what we have done recently, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and I could just come here and do the same thing, right? I could just teach the same. But there's so many people from our church who are here and so I said that to somebody that's like, you know, I wish, I wish we could just do the same thing that we've been doing. And, and you know, the guy from our church was like, go ahead. You think we remember anything? He's like, just go ahead, do it again, man. Actually, we're not doing that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look this week at some, some Old Testament characters. I know that um, a lot of times we go to church, we spend a lot of time in the New Testament. We don't do as much work in the Old Testament. So that's, that's kind of what we're going to do while we're here together. By the way, thanks to everybody um, for working so hard uh, this morning, the guys, the tech team back there. I appreciate it. It takes a lot of work to put things like this together. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, my brother-in-law uh, was a worship pastor for a number of years and um, he used to go uh, over to this passion play over in Indiana. When I say passion play, it's a play about the last week of Jesus' life. And, um, you know, as those things progressed, uh, they wanted to make them as real as possible, right? So like, they would use real swords and clang them together to make real noise and all that kind of stuff. So he went to one one time, and, and sure enough, in this scene where the Roman soldiers come to the Garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus, um, they've got, they, they come, they pick him up, and they're doing their acting, but um, one of the Roman soldiers accidentally sticks his real sword into Jesus' real thigh about an inch and a half. Now, so there was commotion. They got Jesus off to the side, you know, the set, and everyone, no one really noticed. So the director goes back, and they're like, oh, man, they call 911. They come get Jesus, take him to the ER and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so the director says, well, I'm just, I'm just going to go out and just tell everybody, you know, sorry um, about what happened there, and, um, you know, tell them we're done. Well, one of the disciples said, you know, I, we've done this thing so many years, I think I can finish in the Jesus role. So sure enough, he does. He finishes. He does the crucifixion scene, perfect. The resurrection scene, incredible. This diction was right. Everything was just, just spot on. And they get to the ascension scene, and like I said, they want to make it realistic. So underneath this robe, Jesus is hooked up to a pulley. He's got like this harness around him, and like literally, they're going to lift him. They're going to drop, you know, weight, and, they go, and Jesus is literally going to disappear. So he gets to the end, and he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They drop the sandbags in the back, right? He goes up in the air about five feet. But what they forgot is that this new Jesus was about 20 pounds heavier than the other Jesus. So he goes up in the air about five feet, and he comes right back down to the ground. And in a moment of acting brilliance, he looks out at the crowd and he says, and another thing. And so in the back, they realize, oh, this guy's heavier than the other Jesus. So they grab another sandbag, they attach it. He realizes, I'm heavier than the other Jesus. I'm going to have to jump a little bit, right? So he comes back around the barn again. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He jumps, and they drop the extra sand, shot him straight up in the air, hit his head on the cross, being knocked him out with a concussion. His feet were dangling. 
two Jesuses in the same town in the same emergency room all in the same night, right? So I am grateful, right? I'm grateful for the team and everything you guys did to put everything together, and we hope nothing like that happens uh, this week. Um, Like I said, we're going to jump into the Old Testament, and um, we're going to look at the lives of six different characters, some more well-known, some maybe a little more obscure. Um, and as we do that today, we're going to start. Um, we're going to start with who we call Father Abraham. I'm not going to make you stand up and do a little song, right? I'll let you sit and uh, be seated. We're going to talk about Abraham. And you know, in Columbus, you can drive into uh, you can drive into downtown Columbus, and within I don't know three or four minutes, you can drive around and you can pass multiple mosques, synagogues, and Christian churches. All of them call him. Father Abraham. It's really hard to understand spiritual intimacy, uh, certainly religion and church life, without understanding uh, some of the basics of the life of this guy, Abraham. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to jump in to uh, the beginning of the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. That's a passive. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if you want to jot some notes down um, as we go, uh, one of the first things we're going to talk about today is that heart, um, heart is more important than home. Um, This is the beginning of what we call the call of Abram. Now, um, so the text that I read says Abram, Abraham comes a little later on, God changes his name. Abram means father. Uh, which is kind of ironic because he and his wife, Sarah, didn't have children at the time. God changes his name based on the covenant promise. He becomes Abraham, father of me. So Abram means daddy, Abraham, big daddy, right? You see the two. I will probably call him Abraham throughout the message, even though um, we don't get to that till maybe a little later on um, in his life. So Abraham, uh, the way that you and I have been taught this... um, this truth, is that Abraham receives the call of God to leave Ur, the Chaldeans, where he lived, um, and to go to Canaan, to the promised land, to establish this covenant promise, this people. That is partially true. Partially true. The reality of what happens was God starts in Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve, right? And, and God's going to do the whole thing through Adam and Eve. They sin. That kind of wrecks everything. They've got three kids. They've got Cain, Abel, and Seth, or at least three that are talked about a lot in Scripture. Cain and Abel, they're kind of X'd out of the picture. Seth is one that leaves a godly line that moves forward. But eventually, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 6, the world has just kind of gone to pot. Everybody's uh, living the way that they want to live. Um, everything's kind of out of control. God hits the reset button, starts all over with a guy named Noah. 
Noah and his three sons. After hitting that button, things progress. They move on. They get a little bit better for a while, but nah, after that, nah, they kind of start downward again. You get to Genesis chapter 11, and the group of people on the earth decide, we will make our name great. That's a direct quote from Genesis chapter 11. We will make our name great. So they built what is referred to as the Tower of Babel. They were going to build a tower going to heaven so that they could supplant God. They said, we will make our name great. We will become God. God confuses, you know, their languages. You know, Genesis chapter 11, everybody kind of spreads out. We have people groups that begin uh, all over the earth. Some of them lead to the unreached people groups that Rich Mandola talked about uh, this morning. And that's kind of that separation. But at the end of Genesis chapter 11, there's a really interesting verse that casts a lot of light on this whole Abraham story. And to be quite honest with you, it wasn't until I was adult, I was an adult, that I read this verse and I was like, wait a minute, that kind of gets left out of the Abraham story. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 says this, Terah. Now, Terah is Abraham's dad. Terah took Abraham his son and Lot, the son of Haran. Haran is Terah's brother. So Haran and Terah, brothers. Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, excuse me, Haran, I, I, I misspoke. Um, Terah's brother is a guy named Nahor. Haran is where they, were, uh, where they settled. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The interesting thing that you miss, or at least that I always miss, maybe you didn't, I always missed it from the narrative, is that Abraham is not the one who received the call of God to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the promised land. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid in church, they had the little flannel graph, and what they always taught me was that God spoke to Abraham and said, get up, get out of Ur, go to the, and Abraham is the one who received the call of God, right? That's not what Genesis chapter 11 verse 31 says. Genesis 11.31 says that Abraham's dad, Terah, that he's the one who received God's call to get up out of Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to Canaan. So what happens? Well, what we read there says that all the way over here in Ur, God speaks to Terah, Right? And later on, we found out Terah's brother, Nahor, part of that. They take Abraham and Lot with them. And they are on their way, based on the call of God, to go to Canaan. To go to this promised land, this covenant land. But what happens is that on the way, they stop. They stop in a place called Haran. And when they stop there, Here's what uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, a little later on, sheds some backlight on what happened. Joshua 24, 2 says, And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. See, the complete picture says this, that God calls Terah, Nahor, they're going to go, right? They're going to, they're going to go to the promised land. But they get to Haran. And when they get there, the scripture says they stopped. 
They stopped to take a little break. But they did more than take a little break because what we just read says, man, there's a lot in this word. That they settled there. History says that Haran was a merchant city. And there was a lot of money to be made in Haran. And so Terah, hearing God's call, knowing God's covenant promise, says, I'm going to go. And he gets about halfway, and he just settles. And I would just say to you, and like I said, if you're jotting down notes, uh, the next thing is a lot of people, maybe most people, want to be about halfway Christian. I'm going to say that to you again. There are a lot of people that want to be about halfway Christian. They want to be Christian just enough that they've got God as a security blanket if they ever need anything or if anything ever goes wrong or if something, man, if I need to pray real quick or there's a crisis, I want to have just enough of God in my life, right, that, that, I've, that I've got. But I don't, want to be, I don't want to be Christian so much that it makes me uncomfortable, that it changes my patterns, that it requires me to do things differently than I want to do them, or that it requires me to be uncomfortable at all. A lot of us... We want to be about halfway Christian. And so what happens is that we hear the call of God. We're excited about the cross. And then eventually, we just kind of settle. So what we read in Genesis chapter 12 is that God speaks to Abram, Terah's son. And he says to him, get up. And you go to Cain. Now, I'm sure Abraham would have said, what? Well, now, wait a minute. My dad likes it here in Torah. We've got a successful business. We've got a successful, we've got a successful life. Uncle Nahor, he doesn't want to go. I, I, you're asking me to go. And you read over and over again in that Genesis chapter 12 passage. You get up. You go. You, you. It's, um, it's a double emphasis in the Hebrew. Literally, it would read, you get yourself out. I love, God says, listen. Abraham, I tried it with your father. That didn't work. So here's what I'm saying to you. You get yourself out. So if you're here today, and say you're a young person, right? You're a teenager. Um, God says to you, you get yourself. See, a lot of times when we're in those years in our lives, what do we do? We want to do what everybody else does. Whatever everybody else is into, that's what we want to be into. And maybe an adult every now and then would say to us, hey, Ray, you probably shouldn't do as much of that. And you're like, what are you talking about? You don't know. You're an, you're an adult. You don't know what you're talking about, right? And we know we've been there and we know and we're trying to help and maybe you'll listen and maybe you won't. But what God would say to you is you get yourself out. And you're thinking, well, I don't know. Why am I not more faithful as a, as a Christian? Why am I not? I mean, I've got a pretty good life and things at my house seem, seem okay. And I've got a parent or I've got parents who love me, but I've got these doubts or I'm struggling with faith or I'm struggling with, with anxiety or I'm struggling with, with this or with that. I don't, I don't know why. It's because you're binge watching Netflix 13 Reasons for 10 hours a week, right? And listen, I'm not against TV. I'm not the anti-TV guy. We have TVs in our house. I'm okay with that. But I'm just saying, if that's what you're feeding your mind and that's what you're feeding your soul all the time, guess what's gonna come out of your life? 
the same anxiety, the same doubts, the same things that you're watching, that's what's going to leak out of your soul. I'm struggling with pornography. And if you're looking at pornography 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week, those are going to be the things that are going to leak out of your heart. God would say to you, you get yourself out. You're here today and you're an adult. You're like, man, we're struggling. I'm struggling in my, struggling in my marriage. And, we're, we're, and, you know, I found this, this you know, this a person I dated in high school and we reconnected on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And so we're chatting back and forth and that's the person, man, I should have married them. And I'm sh- I don't understand why. Why am I having trouble in my, the reason you're having trouble in your marriage is because you're spending so much time, right? You're spending so much time there. So what leaks out of your soul is this, oh, it could have been better. I could have more. I could have, God would say, you get yourself out. Well, Dean, I've got it. I'm, I'm thinking about this new, this new business venture that I'm going to get into. And so I've got this partner. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a Christian and they're not a Christian. And I, but I think we can get past that. I mean, it's, it's business. And, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're in it and you're like, oh man, what's going on? It's going wrong. They want to go this direction. I want to go this direction. God would say, you get yourself out. Listen, there is something inside of you and something inside of me that just kind of wants to be halfway. I want to be Christian enough that I've got God in case I need him. But I don't want to be so Christian that I get put in an asylum or something like that. I mean, like this guy that Rich talked to, I don't want to be that Christian, right? And a lot of us, what we do, fortunately or unfortunately, well, no, it's unfortunately, is that we kind of treat God like the Sunday thing. God is what we do on Sundays. And we come and we smile and we listen and we hear and everything's great on Sundays. But Monday, everything's different. You know, um, one of the things that Tim helped me out with, um, I, I asked him, um, I've got a weed eater like this at, uh, at my house. Now, it's not the exact same model. This, um, this is the Yardman uh, Easy Start, right? And um, the beauty of what Yardman and other companies like them, uh, what they've done is that they have created um, a, a weed eater that is light enough to be used, um, light enough to be used with one hand, and uh, it's called the Easy Start. <laughs> Angie may need to come up here and help me. Um, so the whole idea of the Easy Start is um, there we go. Yeah, is that you can run it, right, with, with one hand. Now, the, the beauty of it, though, really, is that it's not just a weed eater. You feel like you're watching that, that channel on TV where they're selling stuff. So, like, you take that off, and all of a sudden, in one quick snap, right, you take that off, you lock in the other attachment, and voila, it's now a blower. treating y'all like Chippy the bird that Daniel talked about last night, right? So, so here's the thing. You know what a lot of us do? A lot of us on Sundays, it's, it's like we just, we put the God attachment on on Sundays, right? And we're like, hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, I'm a Christian. We got a little small group at church or whatever you do. And then Monday comes along and we take the God attachment right off of our lives. And we can, okay, now it's time. Now it's time I got to go into work mode, Right? 
or now I've got to go into school mode. Now, now on Sunday, I mean, I saw my Christian friends on Sunday, so I'm going to act a little crippled. But when I go to school on Monday, well, they, they don't, they're not up with that. They're not, they're, they're, not, they're not good with me being. And we treat God like the Sunday attachment for our lives. And we're just about halfway Christian. And we wonder, why do I struggle? Why do I? What if you were all in? What if you just gave that a shot? Because watch how this works out in Abraham's life. See, what Abraham learns is that when heart is right, you don't have to worry about where home is. Home can be in Ur. Home can be in Haran. Home can be in Canaan. It doesn't matter where you are. And when heart is more important than home, watch what happens, um, watch what happens down in, in uh, chapter 13. Uh, Abraham and Lot, they head to Canaan, and Abraham says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Not only is heart more important than home, but walk is more important than talk. If you can imagine Abraham, right, he just basically said to his dad, okay, dad, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm going to fulfill the covenant promise of God that you, that you gave up on. So here's Abraham all on his own now, right? So he takes Lot with him. He's got, he's got his, uh, he's kind of his nephew, cousin. He's got him with him and they go and they're going to, they're going to launch out. Well, when they get to Canaan, what happens is their herds have grown so large, right? God's blessed them and their herds have grown so large that they can't really stay close to each other. So the, the text, if you read all of chapter 13, it says they're between Bethel and Ai. And I'm told, I've not been there, but I'm told between Bethel and Ai, when you go up in the highlands, up in the mountains, that you can see about a 3,000-foot drop down into the valley. And so what happens is they come up to the top of the mountain, up on the top of the hill, and, and they look down on the valley, and Abraham and Lot are there together, and they know they can't hang together anymore because their, their herds are too, too big. Now, Abraham's got three key relationships in his life at this moment. Number one, he's got, he's got his relationship with God. He's got the mission of God, the call of God to go to Canaan. That's number one relationship. Number two relationship, at least in this story, is his relationship with, with Lot, right? His family relationship, that, that, that's real important. And then the third relationship he's got is his relationship with money or finances or success or his future, his, his security, three key relationships. So Abraham comes to this point. Now, they're here at Canaan, so Abraham can handle this one of three ways. Number one way he could, he could handle it is he could say, you know what, Lot, there's not enough room down in the valley. See, the valley was fertile down where the river was. So whoever gets the valley, they got it good. I mean, there's plenty for your herds to eat. Your, your herds are going to grow. But up in the highlands where they were, not so easy. It's going to be a lot more work. So what Abraham could have said is he could have said, you know what, Lot, there's not enough room for me and you down there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go find another place. We'll go find another spot. We'll go find another country. But to do that, what would he, have? he would have had to have given up on his relationship with God. He couldn't fulfill the covenant promise of God had they gone to another place. But he would have kept his relationship with Lot intact, and he would have kept his financial relationship or his future, his security. He would have kept that firmly intact. He could have made that decision. The second decision he could have made is he could have looked at Lot and said, Hey, Lot, we live in a patriarchal society, man. 
the oldest gets priority. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take my herds and we're going to go down and we're going to live down there in the, in the fertile Jordan Valley. You're going to live up here in the highlands. It'll be a little tougher for you, but someday I'll die and you can come down and then you can have my space and you can have, you can have the gifts. So then what would have happened? Well, his relationship with God would have remained intact because he would have stayed there in Canaan. His relationship with Lot would have suffered because of that. His relationship with his finances would have remained firmly intact because he's going down there where he knows that his herds are going to grow. The third decision that he could have made is he could have looked at Lot and he could have said, Lot, what do you want? Where do you want to go? But not to do that. Because he knows what Lot's going to choose. Lot's an aggressive, probably 30-something, 40-something. He's looking to, right, expand the business. He knows Lot's going to choose the valley. So what happens? Well, his relationship with God remains intact because he's staying there in Canaan in the promised land. His relationship with Lot remains intact because he gave Lot preference. But his relationship with his security and his future and his money and his finances is going to suffer because he's going to stay up in the highlands. And the text that we read says that Abraham looked at Lot and he said, Lot, where do you want to go? You choose. Because the most important relationships in Abraham's life was his relationship with God and his relationship with his family. And he's willing to let the third one suffer. And so Lot says, wow, Uncle Abe, thanks. I'm going down there. Now, what Lot doesn't realize, or maybe he did, is that down there is Sodom and Gomorrah. In the, of moving towards and into and becoming the mayor or the leader of Sodom. So Lot and his herds, right, they head down the mountain, they're going down, and here's, here's Abraham standing up there in the highlands, up in the rocks, in this huge herd, and he's thinking, well, what am I going to do? You see, Abraham, if it's you, at least me, as I read through the text, I come up with this question. I'm like, how in the world could Abraham do something like that? Here's what Abraham understood. The second to last thing there as far as taking some notes. Abraham understood that in the call of God, Genesis chapter 12, we read it earlier, that there's a passive part to the call of God, that he was blessed to be a blessing. Abraham understood that the, um, that the vortex of his life, right, was not to empty into him. It wasn't like Abraham was supposed to be this whirlpool where everything comes down and everything's kind of sucked down to him. But Abraham understood rather that he was more like a, a smooth eddy, that as things gathered around him, he kind of spread things out. He understood that the weight of his life was given. God had given him stuff so that he, could, he was blessed to be a blessing to other people. Right? Listen to me. God has blessed you, not so that he could bless you. He has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to other people. So let me ask you. Outside of your nuclear family unit, who are you blessing? And I'm going to say that to you. If you're 12 or if you're 52, you should be a blessing 
to somebody else. There ought to be somebody or bodies in the world who, when they think of you, if someone would ask them about you, they'd say, oh, they're such a blessing. You don't understand how they've blessed me. Who are you right now outside of just your family unit? Who are you Who are you blessing? Because that's why God's blessed you. And I'll just say that I think there's enough pattern in Scripture, and it may not always be this way, but I think there's enough pattern in Scripture that it will sometimes be this way. That the more you bless others, the more blessing God's willing to put in your hands because you're just transferring it and there's giving it and you're moving it along. You are blessed to be a blessing. Not to settle for just kind of being halfway Christian. I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I got an email uh, Monday morning. Uh, that's how my life works, right? Teach on Sunday, emails come on Monday. So Monday morning, open up my inbox, and there's an email, and it's from a guy named Angela. And Angela says, hey, um, I'd like to get together and talk with you, uh, my, me and my Fiance, and so she explains in the email, she explains a little bit of their story. And she says, um, I've lived in central Ohio most of my life. Um, my, my fiance, we've dated for four and a half years. And um, about six months ago, he moved here from Louisville. I've been married before. He's been married before. So he moves here. He brings, at that time, I think it was his 13, 14-year-old son with him. He moves here. He moved in with me. And what's going on is I've been coming to, to your church for a couple of months I'm a Christian, he's not a Christian, and we're really struggling in our relationship. And we don't know, we've been, we've been at this now for about six months, and we don't know if we can make this thing work. I mean, we've been dating off and on for four years, and we're struggling, and we don't know what to do. And so she said, I said to him, hey, I've been going to this church, so let's go talk, let's go talk to this pastor. And she's like, he said he would come. She's like, I can't believe he said he would come, but he said that he's so frustrated right now that that he would come. So would you get together with us? And I, I emailed her back. I said, sure, let's go to, let's go to lunch together. So we meet uh, for lunch and we sit down and they kind of tell me that same story all over again. They're like, hey, he moved up here. We're living, we're trying to blend our families, right? He's got, he's got a kid, I've got kids. It's not going well, we're arguing, we're fighting. So they said, so what do you think? I said, well, I said, I'm, I said, I'm a pastor. So I'm going to give you the pastor perspective. And she's like, great, that's exactly what we want. We want the pastor perspective. And I looked at him, and his name was Brian. And I said, Brian, I said, um, and I don't, I don't even know, are you a Christian? And he said, no, nah, not really. He's like, I mean, I kind of believe, but no. Nah. And that's basically all he had said to that point in the whole lunch. And I said, okay, well, here's the pastor perspective coming from me to you. Take it or leave it. You can hear it. You can not hear it whatever you want to do. But I said, here's the problem. You're like, okay. I said, the problem in your relationship is that you're asking God to bless something that's not blessable. And they both looked at me. I said, here's the thing. The reason that there's anxiety in your relationship, the reason that y'all are, are, are frustrated and kind of at each other's throat, the reason that there's insecurity, that's your word, that was their word to me. The reason that there's insecurity is because y'all are living together, acting like married people, when you're not committed to each other legally, and you're not committed to each other financially. And the scripture says you're not even committed to each other spiritually, 
But you're living together. I'm guessing you're sleeping in the same bedroom, acting like married people, and all of a sudden she starts crying. She's like, and I know it's not good anymore either. It's just awful. I'm so guilty. And I'm like, okay, that's between you and him. I don't need to, I don't need to know about, about all that. That's just for y'all to talk about. But what you could see is that it had all been spoiled. And so she looks at me. She's like, what do we do? We've got four and a half years of invest. What do we do? And I said, here's what I'd tell you to do. And I looked at her and I said, Angela, you've got to make a decision whether or not you want to marry someone, Brian, who's not a Christian. Because if you do that, Scripture says you're unequally yoked. You're always going to have a spiritual perspective. You're always going to be dragging that thing along. And it's going to be really hard. And I turned and looked at him. I mean, three, four words is all he's given me the whole whole time we were at lunch. And I said, Brian, I said, the reality is Jesus gave his life for you. He died on a cross to pay for your sins. He was brutally crucified naked. The God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. And I said, you've got to make a decision. You can receive him or you can reject him. But those are really only those are the only two choices you got. And I looked at him, and I'm like, that's all I got for you. Those are, those are the decisions, right? That's, <laughs> that's it. And they were like, okay, so you're saying then that, that we've got to decide, do we want to get married? Do we not want to get married? We have to think about, I said, that's what you got to think about. Angel's like, okay, we'll, we'll go home. We'll talk about it. We'll think about it. I look over at Brian. Thanks for meeting with us. That's all I get. So that was it. I said, well, as we're walking out the restaurant, I said, one other thing. I said, sometimes maybe it's easier if you get to experience what Christianity is like. Maybe it's easier to do that. Um, if you, under, if you understand the, the people. So I said, we've got a life group that meets on Sundays. I'd love for y'all to come to our life group. Knowing that, there's no way he's ever going to show. Absolutely no way he's ever going to show. So that Sunday, we, um, we, start, um, we start our life group. And sure enough, here comes Brian and Angela. They roll in. You could have blown me over, right? Just like, I, I couldn't believe it. And so as they, as they come in, they sit down. Um, Brian didn't say a word. He sits there the whole time. And so one of the things that we do um, at our church is that whenever somebody gets baptized, they tell their story via video. Um, We call them going public videos. And so I'm gonna stop that story right there. And I want you to listen to Brian kind of pick up the narrative there and tell the rest of his story. This uh, This is Brian Broyles. Growing up, and my mom and dad were both religious, but uh, you know, it really stopped there. We never had much discussion about it. I couldn't tell you the last time I picked up a Bible, uh, and I hadn't been in church or attended service since before I was a teenager. You know, been through life events. You know, lost a job that I've been with for 14 years. Uh, you know, after that, I was shattered. It, my life really dwelt a lot about money. Money was security. Money was, you know, what was important and 
you know, all those simple things that come with that really controlled my life. I'd say, um, you know, I found Jesus Christ the week of March 8th. I say it's a week because it was just a, like a series, you know, of events. I was at a, a crossroads in a relationship with, you know, my, with Angela, who's now my wife. We've been in a relationship for four and a half years. And, you know, I had no faith and, you know, her faith was conflicted. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, we were going to move forward together or we weren't. Uh, we reached out to Dean in the church and, you know, really seek some guidance there. I remember coming back to sermon on Sunday and, you know, the message was really about commitment in spite of doubt. And, you know, there was a, a message also about, you know, God speaks to you so many times and, you know, disobedience if you don't follow at a certain point. And, and we attended life group right afterwards. Uh, we were blessed, uh, Dean invited us to a life group that he was a part of. And that same message continued. And it really hit home for me, especially at that time of where I was in my life. Um, and then, you know, the very next day, I was reading on social media a post that, you know, my son put up about, you know, how Jesus loves him. And, you know, his, his love for God the same way. And then the very next day, you know, I got a, a text from, you know, one of our life group members just asking, it was a simple statement, you know, what can I pray for you? And I remember I was driving home from work. And, you know, with all that had gone, that had went on that week, the, I really spoke these words and said, I give up. I give up. You know, and at that point, I invited Christ into my life. And, you know, ever since then, it's, it's just been an amazing journey. You know, since becoming a Christian, I think one of the most immediate changes that I found was, you know, the way that, you know, he changed my desires. You know, ever since then, you know, that thought or that dwelling on, you know, money and security and, you know, all those sinful thoughts that would fill me before had just been gone. they just been gone. And, you know, I really look for how do I keep that connection with Christ and, you know, grow relationships, you know, through life group and, you know, with my wife and with my son. And, you know, those are just, that's the most immediate change that it changes your desires. You know, the people I'd most like to thank are, you know, I'd have to start with my wife. Um, you know, for so long she was so conflicted, but she stood with me and, you know, really helped guide me to, you know, life point. I'd like to thank, you know, Dean, um, you know, selflessly, you know, meeting with us individually, meeting with me individually, uh, and then inviting me to that life group. That life group was uh, very important for me uh, to be able to talk with and, you know, learn from and listen to, you know, thanks. My name is Brian Broyles, and today I'm going public. You know, the thing that, um, the thing that I love about um, Brian's story, so comes to life group on Sunday, Tuesday, driving home in his truck. He's like, I give up. I give up. So I see him that next week. He tells me what's happened. And he's like, so what do we do? He and Angela, so what do we do? I said, y'all going to? You're going to get married, or what are you thinking about the future? They're like, yeah, we, want, we, we, we think we're going to get married. I'm like, great, let's get married now. They're like, now? I'm like, yep, you guys were living together. Let's make this thing right. And they were looked at me, and they're like, okay. As soon as we could, we got their families together. They got married. And I can't tell you. <laughs> 
Within two months, Brian's read through the whole New Testament. Within six months, he's read through the whole Bible and outlined 1 Peter, just in case God would ever want him to tell somebody. And nobody told him to do that. The trajectory that God has had his life on and Angela's life on, perfect? Absolutely not. Like the rest of us, broken and flawed. But the wonderful story about Abraham and the wonderful story about Brian the wonderful story about Angela is that those stories point us to Jesus. The thing I love about Abraham and the thing I love about Brian and the thing I love about Angela is that in the narrative of their lives, you see nothing halfway. So you may be here today and maybe you have some intellectual belief about God. But if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Are you a little Christ? Would you say that everything in your heart, as much as you humanly possible, is representative of him? That you're not just holding on to him like a security blanket, but you're saying, you know what, as much as I can, even in my imperfection, absolutely all in, living with Christ in relationship on a daily basis, inviting him to fill me with the spirit, live through me, that he's blessed me so that I could be a blessing to people around me and even all the way out to the nations. Or would you say that what you've really got, what you're really hanging your hat on, is maybe some religious experience in your past that the truth of? I, I used to have conversations with people who weren't Christian. By the way, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm thrilled that you're here. You're walking down the right path. And I would have conversations with people and they would say, well, you know what, Dean? I would become a Christian, but if I become a Christian, I have to give up this or I have to stop doing it. Because what they've seen out of Christians is that they've seen, well, they don't do this, they don't do that, they, they're against this. They're, that's what they've seen. And so people say, well, I would be a Christian, but I have to stop this or stop this. And I used to try and explain. I used to say, well, you know what? I, would be a Christian. I mean, you have to get some of this or some of that or this or that. You know and you know what I just started saying to people? When they say, you know what? I, I, I'd have to stop this. or do, I'd say, you know what? You're right not ready to become a Christian. You're ready to become a Christian when you come to Jesus and you say, I'm all in. I don't know all the answers. I still got some doubts. I don't have it all figured out. But I'm coming to love you because you first loved me. And if that's you today, if you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, God has brought you here this morning so that you could take that step. I'd love to help you do that. Let's pray together. Father, you know that the, the weight of the folks who have been praying for this week, um, part of that focus has been for those people, God, who are here, the people among us today who don't have a personal relationship with you. And so God, as I've prayed about this morning, I prayed that there would be some folks who would, um, who would get themselves out, who would stand up today and say, you know what, I'm gonna follow God no matter what. He loved me through the cross, he's worth it. So Lord, I pray for them right now. I know it takes courage. I know maybe God, some folks are here this morning and maybe they're counselors here at the camp. Maybe you've spoken to them about taking that initial step of salvation and um, 
Lord, that's a scary thing. You wonder what are people going to think? And God, I pray that you would give them courage. Maybe there's a mom or a dad who's here this morning and they feel the same way and they're like, yeah, that whole halfway Christianity thing, that's me. I'm not really a believer. And um, man, what would, what would people think? And, but here's what I know, God. I know um, converted counselors are better than unconverted counselors and converted parents are better than unconverted parents and converted students are better than unconverted ones. And So God, I pray that you'll help people this morning be brave, lay pride aside and come to you. So we just continue to pray right now. I'm just gonna ask nobody's looking around, real personal time between people and God. But if you'd like to take that step this morning to becoming a Christian, you do it. God's graced us so that we receive him. And so I'd love to help you receive him. I'm gonna pray up here. And if you want to pray with me right there in your seat, you can pray what I pray. You can pray in your own words if you want. I'm just, I'm just I wanna help you if I can. You just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Please forgive me of my sins. Make my heart clean. Don't just give me a better life. I want a new life. The kind that comes from you. to treat you like the Sunday attachment. I'm tired of that. I want you to be fully in control. Thank you for salvation. 